Man, thank you for that word. I I know we're going to come back to it um, here in a little bit, but um, before we move into the message today, we're going to do something, um, my least favorite thing to do. I don't like to say goodbye to people, um, but we have a couple that is going to be moving, and this is their last Sunday with us, and before I, I call them, um, I want to read the second part of that chapter that I read earlier. Mark writes, Few promises are more circled in my Bible than Proverbs 16.9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. God wants us to get where he wants us to go more than we want to get where he wants us to go. And he is awfully good at getting us there. All we have to do is follow the script of the Holy Scripture and the improvisation of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to hear his voice. His job is to establish our steps. And if we do our job, God will do his. The Hebrew word kun that is translated in Proverbs 16.9 as establishes can also be translated as determines, prepares, provides, sets in place, directs, firmly decides, makes secure. It's a meticulous word that involves careful planning right down to the smallest detail. It's a redemptive word that celebrates God's ability to redeem past experiences and recycle them for future opportunities. It's a calming word that imparts confidence in the fact that God has everything under control. It's a creative word that hints at the beauty of God's artistry. And so, Sam and Tina, um, if you, we're going to have Sam and Tina come out here on that flat area, out in that area. And, and you can bring the boys with you too. That's great. We have loved the time that Sam and Tina have been in our body. Um, and I know that they have made an impact in our Huron community far beyond our church. In fact, they haven't actually been a part of our church for a long time, but yet um, long enough to make a big hole. And so the big hole is going to be there when you go. But we don't let people leave. We believe in sending. And if God has called you guys to go somewhere, we want to be a part of whatever that is and whatever steps that he's planning. And I know this, he is meticulous. And so I know that he's done things in your lives in Huron that you're aware of. You're aware of ways he's worked in you and stretched you and grown you. But I promise you there are ways that years down the road you're going to see how God used this moment to shape and mold you. And so just trust that he's leading. And so we're going to invite you that are here, any of you that want to gather around them and pray over them or pray with them, um, make your way over there. That's kind of the reason we put them out there to make them closer to you. And uh, I'll just be alone up here. <laughs> That's right, sister. But we want to pray over them. We want to bless them. And we want to trust that God's just got them. He's guiding their steps in whatever he has in their future. And so, God, I just thank you for this word today. That in our hearts, we plan our course. But you determine our steps. That, God, you don't just determine our steps. You prepare our steps. And you provide for our steps. And you set them in place. And you direct them. And you firmly decide them. And you make them secure. And so right now, I just pray peace over every member of this family. 
God, that you would protect their hearts and their minds during the days ahead, during the months ahead, during the weeks ahead. God, that no matter what takes place on a certain day or in a certain week or in a certain month, God, that they would be established and firm that you are directing their steps. God, when everything doesn't fall into place the way they hoped or dreamed or imagined, that they would rest assured that you are determining their steps. And God, that the peace that you put in their hearts, the peace that you use to guard their minds would not leave them, God, in the midst of anything that they walk through in the days ahead. God, I pray for open doors. I pray for the, the things that still need to be taken care of in the, the process of moving and the things that will need to be taken care of in a new location. And I just pray for everything that needs to be done. God, for every door that needs to be opened to be open. God, I pray for strategic opportunities and divine appointments that will take place from Huron all the way to San Diego. God, that you would use every person that crosses their path, God, to 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 be an opportunity to minister for you and even to speak into their lives the things that you have for them. God, I pray for protection over them as they travel, protection as they live in this new community. God, that you would open the right school, that you would open the right relationships, that you'd open every ministry opportunity that you have in store for them. And so, God, thank you for loaning them to us for this season. God, thank you for the ways that they have blessed this body and served and ministered to the people here. God, thank you for the ways that they've impacted this community in ways that they may not even be fully aware of today. God, that maybe none of us are fully aware of today, but thank you for the time that they've had here. And now, God, we just bless them. Would you bless them and would you keep them? Would you cause your face to shine on them? Would you lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace? And God, in every way, would you be overly gracious to them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 As you're making your way back to your seats, um, I've got a video that I would love you to watch if you turn your attention to the screen for one moment. At James Valley Christian School, the integration of a biblical worldview and Christian values is central to the teaching of all of our subjects. Reinforcing this idea is the morning devotional times, strong challenges from our chapel speakers, and relationships. Knowledge of the Bible is the driving force behind all of our academic subject pursuits. We want students well prepared academically, but desire them to all understand and practice strong moral and spiritual values. By providing students with a variety of extracurricular activities accompanied by strong adult Christian mentors, we go deeper with students and challenge them to become productive members of society. Here are just a portion of what we offer. Bible-based curriculum, cross-country, spiritual emphasis, oral interpretation, basketball, student-led devotions, multimedia class, early education program, soccer, band, track, weekly chapel, dual credit classes, volleyball, instrumental lessons, one-act play, golf, service opportunities, and choir. turn that back on. Our church is one of the corporate churches of James Valley Christian School, and so there are seven churches that make up the 
advisory board and basically the covering for this school in our community. And they are now taking enrollment applications, and so they asked that we would share that video with you and uh, encourage you to consider um, that as an option for your family. If you would want more information, you could talk to me or you could reach out to the school themselves. There's uh, more information on their website. Uh, the phone number is listed there for you as well. And so I would encourage you to, to look into that more. And so we're going to dive into our series that we have been in, uh, The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. Again, it's a book written by John Ortberg based on um, this idea that spiritual disciplines are used in our lives to help us live out the life God always intended us to live. And last week we started um, our fifth discipline, and it's the discipline of confession or the practice of confession. And it's chapter 8 in the book. If you don't have a copy of the book, they are available uh, in the back. You can pick one up after service. There are reading guides back there as well. And there's a study guide in the back. And last week I encouraged you to find someone else in the body to go through that study guide with. And uh, it is not too late. Today is only March 6th. We've got 25 more glorious days in this month to be able to work through this idea of confession. And I want to recap just a couple things from 1 John chapter 1. We spent a lot of time in 1 John chapter 1 last week, but I want to dive into Psalm 51 here in a moment. So if you've got your Bible and you want to go to Psalm 51 to be ready for that section of Scripture, you could do that. But in 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John, writing to the church in verse 5, says this, this is the message we heard from Jesus, and now we declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. And I, I shared with you last week, I don't look at this idea of walking in darkness as just one sin or committing a sin. I think it's broader than that. I think it's committing a sin, yes, but I think it's also a refusal to confess it as sin. I think it's a lifestyle where we continuously choose an activity, and then we even begin to say, well, it's not sin. We, and we don't necessarily have to overtly come out and say, well, that's not a sin. We, can just, we could call it a weakness, or we can call it um, a struggle, and we downplay what it is. It is sin. But we know that our identity in Christ is not based on what we do or do not do. It's what Christ has done for us. And so sometimes we're afraid to confess our sin because it's like, well, if I confess sin, then that must mean I'm not really saved or I'm not really a Christian. No, it it actually, by confessing it, it proves you're a Christian. It proves that the Spirit is at work in your heart because you're refusing to gloss over something that the Scripture calls sin. You're actually calling it out in your life and declaring it is sin and it has no place in my life. John goes on to say, if we are living in the light, we're living in that relationship with God, that confession, that acknowledgement, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. In this idea of community, we touched on a little bit last week. And next week, we're really going to go into community and the need for community and what even James is talking about when he says, confess your sins one to another and how important that is in the body of Christ and maybe why in the American church we really don't practice that as often as we should. 
And we're going to talk about community next week. But one thing I want to emphasize here is that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin because we walk in the light. And then after this is where John is going to bring up this idea of confession. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, I shared this with you last week, by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Okay, so verse 9 of back into 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I do not believe John is giving us the, the, the modus operandi here or the method of how it works. So as a believer, if I sin, I have to confess my sin to be forgiven of my sin. I don't believe that's what John's teaching. I believe John is teaching us that when we confess sin, there's an assurance that Jesus forgives us, that God forgives us. In fact, as he just said earlier in this passage, when we walk in the light, when we walk in relationship with God, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. All sin, past sin, present sin, and future sin. And that is not an excuse for us to just continue living in sin, but that's the reason many Bible, Bible writers, Bible authors, the Apostle Paul, Peter, the writer of Hebrews, often remind us that you can't keep living in sin. You can't use grace as a cover-up for sin. And the reason they tell us that is because we are forgiven. That doesn't mean we don't need to confess our sin. We do. Because when we confess our sin, it brings it into the light. It keeps us in the light. It keeps us from being deceived. It keeps us from starting to call things that are sin something other than sin. It keeps us from deception. It keeps us from pride. It keeps us where we need to be in Him. But as I said last week, I don't believe sin has to be confessed in order that it is forgiven. And that's a teaching in the body of Christ that for many years put people in bondage because they would sin, and then because they didn't immediately confess their sin, they lived in guilt and condemnation and shame because they didn't think God was forgiving them. God is forgiving you. And confession still has a place in our lives. And so that's what I want to look at as we go through... Um, Psalm 51, and David is talking about um, his sin. I want to look at this from that lens and from that angle. We looked at it from 1 John, and now we're going to look at it from David's viewpoint here in Psalm 51. The Bible, two different times, calls David a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel 13, when Samuel's first anointing David to be king, um, God refers to him as a man after my own heart. In Acts chapter 13, when history, I believe it's by the Apostle Paul, is being reviewed, um, David again is called a man after God's own heart. And yet, if we look into the life of David, we see things like David committing adultery. We see things like David killing the man whose wife he committed adultery with to cover up his sin. And we see pride. We see this census that David took for some reason that actually brought um, judgment from God upon the nation of Israel because of what David had done. We don't fully, we make guesses as scholars, Bible scholars, what, what David did, what that meant. We don't know exactly, but we know that David knew what he was doing was wrong, and David acted in it anyway. So this man, after God's own heart, has a life littered with sin. And yet from the beginning, 
when he was anointed, he was called a man after God's own heart. It's not our perfection that makes us a man or a woman after God's own heart. It's God's call on our lives. It's God's blessing through Christ Jesus. And you say, well, wait a minute. David didn't have Jesus. Ah, but Jesus was crucified from the foundation of the world. And so somehow, even in the Old Testament, the blood of Jesus Christ, even though Jesus hadn't died yet, somehow covered the sins of the people who put faith in God. David, I believe, is the same situation. So God can call him a man after my own heart, even though David isn't perfect. But David, like many of us, tried to cover up his sin. David didn't want to deal with his sin. Maybe it was the shame of it. Maybe it was the fact that he knew better, and so he thought, well, I don't really want to confess it to God because um, I, I should have known better. And so maybe he was in guilt. Maybe he was in fear. Maybe he actually uh, deceived himself enough to believe he hid this from God. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, David was a pretty smart guy, but sin does weird things to us. And in Psalm chapter 32, we read this last week, but I want to read it again. David writes these words. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, when I hid my sin, my bones wasted away through all my groanings all day long. It had an effect on him. When David refused to confess his sin, it had an effect on his, his being, if you will. Stomach problems, anxiety problems. I mean, anxiety in our body can cause every system in our body to malfunction. Our circulatory system can malfunction because of anxiety. Our digestive system can malfunction because of anxiety. Our nervous system can malfunction because of anxiety. And when you keep secrets, when you hold stuff in, it has that effect on our physical bodies. I think that's what David's describing. Day and night your hand was heavy on me. I love it. God is like heavy on David, getting him to a place where he'll confess. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I love that. You forgave the guilt of my sin. <coughs> Not just you forgave my sin. What's David been dealing with? The guilt of his sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. You took that away. It's important that you and I bring these things into the light. Whether it's bringing it to the Lord and being honest with him about it, calling it sin, naming it, as we're going to talk about, or whether it's needing another person in the body of Christ that we confess that sin to so they can help hold us accountable. Because it's not about just confessing my sin. Confession, I believe, brings supernatural power to avoid sin in the future. Yes. But sometimes you and I have to take practical steps. If we're struggling in a certain sin and we continue to keep putting ourselves in a position where we are being tempted by that sin, by our own choices... And we're not doing anything to make those changes. We're not bringing anyone else into our lives to help us be accountable and make those changes. We're not taking advantage of the grace of God. 
we have to take advantage of the grace of God by confessing sin, not just to God, but even at times to one another. So in Psalm 51, David kind of gives us a pattern. I, I mean, I don't want to necessarily say this is the absolute pattern, and there's some overlap, and so maybe uh, I'm just... But I, I think it gives us some handles, let me put it that way, so that we can understand this idea of confession maybe a little bit better. So in Psalm 51, David has been confronted by the prophet Nathan because that's what it took. David didn't confess his sin to God. He didn't make things right until a prophet came to him and told him a story. By the way, when the prophet came and told David a story, a parable, David got ticked. He got angry. And the thing is, he was angry at someone for the same type of sin he committed. So you and I, be very careful. When we start getting angry at people who sin or we get angry at the way other people are treated or mistreated, be careful. Be careful. Not always, but be careful that that same sin isn't lurking in your own heart, causing that unrighteous anger to well up within you. Because that's what happened to David. But luckily, when, David, when Nathan pointed it out, David came totally clean. He didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to make excuses. He didn't say, well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been up on the roof bathing. He's just like full-on repentance against God and only God have I sinned. What do I need to do, Nathan? And so he begins that process of repentance, and we read about it in Psalm 51. So let's read it. The first three verses, I want you to pay attention to the word my in these verses. My. Because the first thing I think we need to do in confession is own it. We need to own it. We need to admit it, acknowledge it, own it, call it out. My sin. Listen to what David says. Have mercy on me, O God. Now, that's a great place to start. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. The first step is coming clean and owning it. Not blaming your past. Not blaming someone else in your life. Not blaming a circumstances. And I get it. All of those things come into play in our lives our past, people's treatment of us, situations in our lives, things that have happened to us through no fault of our own, all of that can have an effect on our lives. But ultimately, my sin is on me and me alone. I can't blame anyone else for why I've sinned. I've got to own it. If I want confession to have its work in my life, I've got to take full responsibility for it. No sweeping it under the rug, no rationalizing it, no excusing it, and no letting guilt or shame stop me either. Because what happens is, especially when we get into a place where, I don't know if you've ever heard from Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about in the King James that we have to throw off the besetting sins that so easily entangle us, some versions say, the besetting sins. Those sins that we keep falling prey to, even as believers, we find ourselves falling right back into that habit, whether it's slander, whether it's gossip, whether it's lust, whatever it is, that we just we keep falling back into that pattern, and we can't seem to break it. And so what happens is we start feeling so guilty that we just want to stop confessing. I mean, 
Am I even serious? Is it even working? Does God even want to hear it? I mean, maybe God's just tired of me confessing. I promise you, God is never tired of us confessing our sin and acknowledging it has no place in our lives. And I don't care if you have to do it 35,000 times a day. Keep confessing your sin. Don't let guilt, don't let shame, don't let rationalization, don't let anything stop us from confessing our sin. The second thing is we have to acknowledge truth. We have to acknowledge truth. In other words, we have to come into agreement with what God's Word says about sin. We, we sometimes want to downplay our behavior, our actions. I mean, it, uh, I, I mean, I took something from work that I shouldn't have had, but is that really stealing? Yes, it really is stealing. Call it out and be ugly with it. Call it what it is. Live in agreement with it. Don't start downplaying your actions. I can't start downplaying my actions. We call them out and we agree with God's word. It's ugly, but I love that it's wrapped in, in paper. We're going to get to that too in a second. It's ugly, but we're going to call it out. So verses 4, 5, and 6, I want you to pay attention to the word you. David now shifts. He's going to say you. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I don't care if our world or your friend or someone else says, eh, that's not so bad. If God says it's evil in his sight, it's evil in his sight. Acknowledge it. Agree with him. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Now, the NIV uh, does a great job, I think, with translating th this passage, but I really disagree with how they handle verse 6 here. Um, most other translations are going to say something about you desire integrity, in my inner being. Not, it's not so much about when I was in the womb, but the inner man is the language that most translations are going to use. And you taught me wisdom deep within. So whether that was while I was in the womb and it's just stuck within me, like you wove it into the fabric of my being and is, is in essence what it's saying. And so the NIV, I think, I, I don't know. I just don't like the context. I think God is looking for something deep within. It's not about the action. In fact, John Ortberg is going to go into this in the chapter if you haven't read it yet. It's not just the actions. It's where the actions come from that matter. And so when we start confessing our actions to the Lord, he wants that confession of those actions, but he wants to go deeper. Where did that action come from? Why did that action take place? Why did I lie? Why did I lust? What, what did I, what's the point? What's the thing deep within me that is amiss, that's off, that God needs to do some surgery on so that action stops taking place? And I think that's what David's referencing, that deeper work that God wants to do to keep us from sin. He desires that truth in our inner being. Now, when David says, it's against you and you only that I have sinned, he, I mean, remember, this is the guy that committed adultery and murder. And he is not minimizing that in the way that he um, is thinking about Bathsheba or Uriah. 
It's not like he's like, oh God, I sinned against you. What I did to Bathsheba and Uriah, that's not a big deal. He's not downplaying sin towards human beings. He's actually elevating it. What he's saying is, I sinned against Bathsheba, I sinned against Uriah, but actually it's a sin against you. And sometimes when we sin against other people, we, we like to find reasons that we did that or why we were justified. Well, that person's a jerk, so the fact that I did that, it's okay. Um, I want you to know that anytime you and I sin against another human being for whatever reason, whatever cause, a sin against them is a sin against God, period. It's that serious. When God says, if you're at the altar and you realize you've got something against your brother, leave the gift, go make it right, and then come back. That's how serious God views this. No wonder David's a man after God's own heart because he's starting to get New Testament concepts in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. And so David's got a window here. He's recognizing that he has sinned against God. This is a great, a great sin, and he's calling it out. He's calling it what it is. Sin is ultimately adultery against God. God is our partner in this. We are called his bride as his people. And when we put confidence or trust, when we start looking for our refuge to be something other than God, that's where we get ourselves into trouble. James, in James chapter 4, says it this way, You adulterous people, don't you know that your friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think it is without reason that the scriptures say the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace? Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. We'll get to that second part. At the beginning of this, an enemy of God, some translations will actually use adultery toward God instead of that word enemy. It makes you adulterous. When we come to the place where we put trust in something, we're looking for something outside of what God has called for us. So we're looking for sexual intimacy outside the covenant of marriage. We're not trusting God. We're not trusting that God has called us to, to live in a way that's best. We're saying, God, you're not my provision. I need to provide for myself. I need to choose my own way. And that can be sexual immorality. That can be greed. That can be slander. Because a lot of times when we're slandering, all we're really doing is trying to, to puff ourselves up and bring other people down. Um, and so whatever it is in our lives that that's coming from, what are we trying to make our refuge because if God isn't our refuge, Psalm 46.1 says God is our refuge and our strength. If God isn't our refuge, God isn't our strength. And so part of confession has to be acknowledging and fully agreeing with God. This is a sin against you. This is me saying I knew better than you. This is me trying to get what I need from someone other than you. Whether that's my security 
whether that's my pleasure, whether that's joy, whether that's contentment, I'm trying to get something from someone other than you. And we call it out through confession. Now again, our identity is in Christ, sons and daughters of God. So we can go through this process because we know that we're God's children. But these things have no place in our lives. And so we're going to call them what they are. Then at the end of that passage, he begins to talk through this process of mourning and gloom and humbling ourselves before God. And I am all for the idea of really feeling the weight of our sin against God. I'm all for taking a moment to recognize how great a price Jesus paid for our sin so that we never get to the place where we're flippant and we're like, oh, God, I know I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me for that. Even though, you know, Jesus, you had to be beaten and the crown of thorns had to be put on your head and you had to be like totally disfigured and, you know, brutally tortured on a cross and, you know, hung there naked and ashamed for me. Uh, sorry, I sinned. Now, none of us, I hope, would ever pray that prayer. But if we become flippant with confession, flippant with sin, that's what we're praying. And so, yeah, we should think about the high price that God paid for us. But as soon as Christina started talking about this, these packages, what popped into my head was the fact that the reason when we lay our stuff down before God, when we confess it, when we acknowledge it, we are taking full advantage of the cross of Jesus Christ. When we don't confess, when we don't call it out, when we don't call that ugly sin that we participated in what it is and put it at the foot of the cross, we are not taking advantage of what he did for us. And I don't want us to misunderstand. Jesus went to the cross willingly. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so he's not up in heaven angry at us for sin. He's up in heaven saying, come on, take advantage of what I did for you. And so when we lay those things at his feet, we're taking advantage of that. We're humbling ourselves before him. And that's what David goes into here in verses 10, 11, and 12. The entire psalm is loaded with this idea of humility. But these verses specifically, Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's acknowledging the fact that, God, I can't do anything to make myself right with you, and I can't do anything to not put myself in that condition again without you. Everything is dependent upon you. I need you to do a deeper work in me. I need you to recreate the inner man that I am so that I do not continue to walk down this road. Earlier in Psalm 32, we read these words from David. Let me reread them from verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now let's look at verse 6. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. When we ask, when we humble ourselves, God responds. 
When you humble yourself before the Lord, James said it, David said it, God lifts us up. And when we start making promises, when we start saying, God, I I promise I won't do that again. God, I'm going to do everything I can in my power not to do that again. We're adding to the gospel. Anything in my power can never keep me from doing that again. God, it's only you. You sustain me. And I need you. And if there are things that I'm doing that are keeping you from being able to sustain me, if there are things in my life that I need to get rid of so I can draw on that sustenance even more, you need to help me. And it's humbly acknowledging I can't do it. The last part of this, (coughs) so we need to own it. We need to begin to agree with God. We need to admit what we've done. We need to humble ourselves before God. But part of confession is this last part where we receive grace. Where we receive grace. And for some, this is super hard to let ourselves off the hook. For others, maybe we're a little too flippant with grace and we let ourselves off the hook too much. But for a lot of people I talk to, This idea of letting ourselves off the hook and starting with a clean slate and understanding the power that comes through grace so that we can actually begin to walk out free from guilt, not just free from sin, but free from guilt. Look what David says in verse 16. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. God doesn't want our promises. He doesn't want us to to give penance. He doesn't want us to give an extra offering. He doesn't want us to prove ourselves. He wants humble acknowledgement of our sin, the recognition of how totally dependent we are on Him and how we trusted in something other than Him. And even if we're going to feel the weight of that sin, It's not a long-term feeling the weight of that sin. God does not want us to sit in sackcloth and ashes and walk around for a week with our heads down. Yeah, I'm just a terror. I don't even know why God loves me. I don't know. I just keep making this mistake. You have not met my father because my father does not want that for you. He wants you to receive grace. And sometimes it makes us feel better if we feel bad about it for a while because then I know I'm serious. Then I know I'm really, if I feel bad about this for like a week, then I'm really going to be able to, to make sure I don't do it again. And you see how that's anti-gospel? Because <laughs> it's, it's relying on me, my emotions and my willpower and my strength. And I, when I started, I don't think I fully understand this yet, but when I started to begin to understand this, And the idea of being able to confess and just receive grace in that moment and not walk out of that moment of prayer until I was sure I had laid the guilt down. Because otherwise, the guilt, we think the guilt is a good thing, but guilt is is death. And guilt is all relying on self. And that doesn't work to keep us from sin. We have to come to that place where we receive forgiveness, we receive grace. Simple confession. That's really all it is. 
And so as we go through this month, as I challenged us last week, and as I'm going to continue to challenge us, to take time daily to confess sin before the Lord. Now, if you know you've sinned in the middle of the day, stop and confess. Like, wherever you are, pray. Confess it to God. God, that has no place in my life. I love the list of sins that the Apostle Paul gives us in Ephesians 4 and 5. Like, he goes through all of these things. Children, you're, you're supposed to be walking as children of light, and yet you're doing this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and, this, and it's pretty extensive. I mean, I'm sure you could find something on that list that God could, the Holy Spirit would be like, you, you, somewhere on that list. But what I love the most is the Apostle Paul just keeps saying, these have no place in your life because you're children of God. I mean, it's not like he's going through this list and saying, you call yourself a Christian? You're not a Christian. Look at these things in your life. No, he's like, you've put your faith in Jesus. These have no place in your life. You're, you're practicing this. You've got to take that off. You've got to throw that thing off. That has no place in you. That'll destroy you. My children, he says, you're sons and daughters of God. Read the language of Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5 or Colossians chapter 3 where Paul lists off these sins. Even the crazy Corinthian church. I mean, how many sins does the Apostle Paul call out among the, the Christians in Corinth and yet he still refers to them as brothers and sisters? I mean, understand this. I'm not trying to give anyone the freedom to sin because that'll, that'll kill you. That'll destroy you. I would not want you to have that. But neither do I want you to walk around with this burden you were never meant to carry, thinking by carrying that burden, you're actually helping yourself. Because all you do is yoke yourself even more to sin. Confession. Reject the lie that makes sin attractive. Reject any effort to rationalize sin. Reject all the shame and guilt that comes with it. Let God work godly, sorrow into your life, not a worldly sorrow, one that helps us see the pain that we cause him, one that helps us see the pain that we cause others by our behaviors and by our attitudes and confess our sin. Whether the sin is lying or exaggeration or pride or unforgiveness or fantasy or fear or lust or doubt or unbelief, confess it. Confess it. And I want us to take time here at the end of this service today. We've a few minutes left, and I just want us to take a few minutes. And I want you to bow your heads right where you are. And I want to pray this prayer that we prayed last week also from the Psalms. That simple prayer that just says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Show me any wicked way that is in me. Holy Spirit, bring to our mind anything that we've rationalized, anything that we've excused, anything that we've carried, like guilt and shame, trying to earn our way into favor with you. Give us grace in this moment to lay all of that at your feet. You've spoken so clearly throughout this entire service about laying down our shame, our guilt, our addictions, our failures. Holy Spirit, help us to do it right now.
to respond to you in this moment. And whatever comes to your mind in this moment, just begin to confess it. I want you to actually imagine yourself laying it down at the foot of the cross. If you want to go through the motions of actually laying your hands out in front of you and putting it there. Maybe it's an attitude that you've had this week. Maybe it's something you've done this week. Maybe it's something you've done just against God. Maybe it's something you've done against another person. Maybe it's a habit that you know needs to be broken off of your life. And maybe you've sincerely confessed it over and over and you've given up, but today you're going to renew that and you're going to confess it and you're going to lay it down. Maybe it's a habit that you know that you need to lay down. The Spirit of God has spoken to you on it, but you've rationalized it. You've even joked about the idea that, well, God's helping me get past that, but you know my German roots. And you need to lay that down today. Call it out. Own it. You've blamed someone else for the the type of sin that you found yourself in. Own it today. Call it out. Call it what it is. It's evil in God's sight. It has no place in my life as a son or daughter of God. It's from the kingdom of darkness. It has no place here because I walk in light. I believe when we start to do this regularly in our lives, as I've said, I think we're taking full advantage of the grace of God in our lives. As as Christina shared that picture earlier in the service, that was the first thing that came to my mind. And the second is that God redeems everything. And every sin, everything done to you, everything that you have to lay down at the foot of the cross, when you own it, when you acknowledge it, when you get right with God, when you humble yourself in that way, what you do is it's actually a gift back to God in the sense that God can now use that to minister to other people. I mean, just because you've walked through a type of circumstance, God can't use you to minister to someone else who's walking in that same circumstance if you haven't gone through the process of confession with it. If you haven't owned it, if you haven't acknowledged it, agreed with God in it, you haven't proclaimed that truth of what it is, and you haven't humbled yourself before the Lord and then received His grace, it's only when we walk through that process of confession that we get healed. And then that thing becomes something that the enemy meant for evil, but God now can use in countless ways to establish His kingdom, not just in your life, but in the lives of others. That's that's a, a great picture of how God uses this moment. And so, Holy Spirit, in this moment, thank you for showing us these things, revealing the things that we need to make right with you. But I pray that it wouldn't stop as we leave this room today. Holy Spirit, as we focus throughout this month on confession, I pray first that there would be a protection over every heart and mind that not one person would be bound to guilt or shame or condemnation in this month ahead. 
But God, that confession and godly sorrow would have a fuller work in each of our lives to free us from the sin that so easily entangles us. Help us to walk these things out more and more in the days ahead, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today, and I want to encourage you as we go through this month, um, continue to work out that confession, not just by yourself, but find someone else. I'm going to keep challenging us to do that. And uh, I want to remind you, coffee and conversation for men, this, this Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, we're going to meet at the downtown office. We'll have coffee, we'll have donuts, and we'll have something healthy. Coffee, donuts, something healthy. 9 o'clock, no agenda. Just a chance to, to interact, to get to know one another. Uh, ladies, your time is coming next week. Watch your uh, emails and your text messages for announcements about events that are happening and coming up. Or stop by the table as you leave today. Pick up a calendar. Pick up the information card about how to get onto Church Center and uh, get connected with us. We'd love to connect with you. Thank you for being here today. God bless you as you go.